The Lord's Prayer, which I'll be preaching on this week and next, almost could, uh, you could almost do a sermon on every two words of it. It is so packed. Jesus is that terrific, specific, and straightforward of a teacher. And he fully anticipates that in learning to pray this way, we're healed. That's the kingdom part of the text. That's the releasing of the hurt of others when we confess and then ask for his forgiveness and then ask that he help us forgive others. And then he teaches right after the Lord's Prayer about the importance of forgiveness. When I pray the Lord's Prayer with my kids, we say, make our house like your kingdom. Give us everything we need. Forgive, uh, forgive us and help us to forgive others and protect us. I'm going to pray for us and also lead us in those moves that Jesus taught. The moves are more important than the exact words because Jesus said, pray this way. Many of you already do this. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful that you are our Father in heaven. Even though for many of us, that is very challenging for all sorts of reasons that you sympathize with, we are still grateful that you are our Father in heaven and that you see us. Lord, we ask that you make our lives and our homes, our vehicles, our words, our finances, our abilities and skills, all make them sharper that your kingdom be more present through you in us, Holy Spirit. Merciful God, give us all that we need and neither more that we become arrogant or less that we become resentful. Jesus, forgive us for we fail to trust your way and instead follow our own path. Father, Son, and Spirit, help us to forgive others their trespasses, debts, and sins. We need your strength to release the opportunities and the mindset that wants them to pay. Justice is yours and not ours. Forgive us and help us to forgive others. Father, Son, and Spirit, you nourish us through communion, sign us as yours and seal us through baptism, and yet we continue to live in this world. And sin and death and disease and pain have not yet worn out. In the meantime, Father, Son, and Spirit, between now and your return, which we hope for, would you protect us? Amen. Please join us for the doxology. Breathe.
If you have your Bible, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking. If you have a red-letter Bible, this is where there's probably the most red in it. Beware of practicing before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like Pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I don't know about you, that's some eerie teaching. It's so straightforward, and yet there's metaphor in it. We know exactly what Jesus is encouraging us to do, and yet there's some stuff to unpack. There's a a binary contrast between rewards, which when Jesus does that, he's teaching oh so eloquently that there are but two options. There is no third way. In this case, you're either praying in such a way as to receive the honor of men and women, which you will, if that's what's in your mind and heart, or do it alone, in your room, door shut, non-metaphorical teaching. Jesus is contrasting these rewards to help us understand that there are but two ways. There is the Jesus way or the insert your name way. There's the Matt way and there's the Jesus way. And I can take the Matt way and I'll receive the rewards for the Matt way and they're bad. When Jesus teaches something both straightforwardly and metaphorically, that's him, the brilliant teacher, helping us in multiple ways at the same time learn something that's actually basic, which is how to pray. Is there a wrong way to pray? Yeah. What happens if you pray the wrong way? God's mad at you. No. God honors all prayer. But Jesus, in his teaching, was very, very clear that there's both a wrong place and a wrong way to pray. And I think we're uncomfortable with reward language. First of all, because we know exactly what Jesus means in terms of where should we go. We should go into our room and then do what? Shut the door. And then what? Pray. And do we do it? How many times this week? If you did it like 15, first of all, don't tell me because that'd be ironic. I don't know if you read the text. But good. You can just be encouraged the rest of the sermon. But for most of us, we resist this for a number of reasons. I think one is legalism, too. We're nervous that we believe if we pray this way, we'll make God happy. That's literally the opposite of the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel 
is that Jesus loves you. You're, while you were yet a sinner, he pursued you in love, called you to himself, and now we get to respond to his love by following him. That's the gospel of Jesus. Because that's the gospel, when we start talking especially about specific actions, we're worried that we're falling into legalism. So legalism would say you need to pray this way in order to make God happy. That's not only legalism, that's an anti-Christian teaching. That is exactly the—you're leading people away from Christ if you teach that. And legalism is worth wrestling with because it's very, very, very destructive and evil and horrible. But more importantly, we need to wrestle through this text— that we might receive the kingdom joy and guidance that's inevitable from it. When Jesus says reward, which he does multiple times in here, we're, we're just not positive what he means. And I'm going to tell you what I think it is, and I have researched there, but there are maybe like five things in the Bible that I consider myself pastorally an expert on, and this is one of them, frankly. I can show you the stack of books I have read on it. I can tell you why. I'm going to attempt to just preach it today, but we can have another conversation about it. I'll explain a little bit about why, but I'm not, I don't want to get there yet because I want to start where Jesus starts, which is notice yourself giving, and he's talking about money here, and praying, and you're doing it for other people. I remember years ago hearing probably the most effective communicator I've ever heard in my life, his name's Andy Stanley, say that most of the incredibly eloquent prayers he saw as a child failed morally. It's not a direct quote. It's not from one of his books. I think I remember him saying that. The point, though, is we have this tendency in us to want to impress other people, and we all do it. There are a lot of ways of doing that differently. And some of us don't pray because we're so worried about impressing other people we miss an opportunity to pray, which is a false humility that Jesus is not encouraging. Go back to Matthew 5 for a definition by description, a lived way of life of humility called the beautiful attitudes. So just because we want to avoid legalism and just because we don't immediately understand what Jesus is saying when he uses the word reward repeatedly doesn't mean it's not worth wrestling with. It's very worth wrestling with the words of Jesus. I love that Jesus was such an effective storyteller. Some of them are so complicated, books will be written about them until he returns and maybe even after. And some of them are so simple a three-year-old couldn't understand. I love that Jesus tied his miracles to his messages. If you're ever troubled by his miracles for any reason, look at what he said right before or right after. If you're ever troubled by something that he said, look to see if there was a miracle right before or right after. He's such a genius teacher. I love that he teaches incredibly complicated theology. See John chapter 6. And he teaches so straightforwardly. Like, you could literally read the section of Scripture that I just read, and without much thought, what does Jesus want me to do? You know. You know exactly what he wants you to do and why. And it's bonkers because we don't do it. Isn't it? Like you've read Matthew 6 before. Some of you have read it more than I have. And we don't do it. And it shows how our false selves convince us that we know better than God. It shows us how amazing the world is at distracting us. And the world is a beautiful and noble place. But it also is crying out for redemption. See the book of Romans. What do you think of when someone says reward? 
You know, I remember going to this arcade in a very small mall that was destroyed to make a 24-seat movie theater, I think, 20-seat. And, you know, skee-ball, right? So that I could get the pencil eraser I didn't know I needed. I remember going to church one uh, evening for an evening service with my older brother and my dad, and it was made clear to us somehow that if we paid attention at church, we would get ice cream afterwards. I remember my brother paying attention. I even remember what the text was on because my brother could remember it, but I didn't remember in the moment because I was bored and not paying attention. Dad still gave me some ice cream, which I appreciated. That's called grace, which is also very important. But what do you think of? Is reward like the big bonus that you did or didn't get this year? What do you think? Powerball? I don't know. It's important to wrestle with us, to wrestle with because Jesus used the word repeatedly in the text. And I'm going I'm to explain it, but not right now. So Jesus contrasts rewards and he encourages intimate prayer. When we talk about healing, here's what I mean and what I think is part of what Jesus means. It's the understanding of what happened to us and some of why and the integration of that into ourself. So we are at peace and confident about our life in Christ until we're with him. That's what I mean when I say healing. And I believe that's an incredibly significant part of what Jesus is getting at. And the reason that I say that is to try and set us up for success because many of us simply do not pray the way Jesus teaches here. It's not intimate. I'm concerned for some of you who are such prayer warriors. First of all, let me say this. I'm so thankful. So many of you pray for me every day. Those of you that do not think the church is lovely, you're partially right. There are so many humans who pray for me every day, not because they like me. I guarantee some of them don't every day, but because I'm the pastor of their church and they trust Jesus. But I'm concerned if you only pray for others. When I was growing up, uh, I'm thankful that we prayed most nights, but our prayers were very repetitive. And Jesus is here cautioning us about repetition. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Repetition in prayer is not the enemy, but we have to watch out for it. Because what are we saying about God? if we pray the same words and for the same things and the same people exactly all the time, that he's asleep and we have to wake him up, that he doesn't care until we've prayed about it 60 times or 100 times. And some of you repeat things and it's completely heartfelt. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Some of you repeat prayers as a way of disciplining yourself for faithful, in, uh, into faithfulness. But sometimes we repeat and our image of God is distorted into thinking that he's a little more reciprocal or prayer only works when, etc. I am curious how you pray for me. Some of you tell me you pray for me, and I, I, I always want to ask, well, how? And if it's negative, don't tell me. Like, if you're asking God to break my teeth like the psalmist, please don't let me know that. But those of you that pray for me, I'm, I'm curious. One of the ways that I attempt to or one of the ways that I follow Jesus is I write down uh, my family, their name, and this is on a big whiteboard in my basement, and then our elders, and then our church staff. 
And then next to them, I attempt to pray specifically for them and their families. And then I erase it and try and change how I pray for them the next time. And most of the prayers are that they get more of God or that they rest well, or that they receive joy. They're similar to the ways that I pray for you. But this is a way that I attempt to literally follow Jesus in his non-metaphorical teaching that has metaphors in it. Go into your room, close the door, which is an added bonus for me, because if I close the door, the cats are slightly less likely to come in, which is very helpful to my prayer life if there are no cats involved. I thought somebody would laugh at that. Nope, that's okay. It's fine. Liam did? Really? That's the biggest win in the room. Nice. I'm not certain how intimate your prayer life is if you can't call God Dad or Daddy or Father or Abba. The church that uh, Rachel and I helped plant in St. Louis, one of the founding elders named John Dames, would begin his prayers with Good morning, Father, or Good afternoon, or Good night, Truman Show reference. And it always struck me, not because of the words, but because of the tone. And listen, if you have tried that and tears come, don't push too hard. I think every year I'm more aware of and sympathetic to the incredible wounds many, though not all of us, experienced, especially in childhood. One suggestion is uh, when you pray, if you have significant issues with your parents, but long to pray for them, pray for them by name instead of by title. Not only because that frees you as uh, a prayer, but also because perhaps it'll begin to loosen some of those strongholds, and perhaps it will make it a little easier for you to refer to God in intimate ways. One of the most significant things that Jesus taught is that we can relate to God as Father, and that it's good to do so. In the entire Old Testament, 39 books, thousands of pages, depending on the size of the font, God is referred to as Father 16 times. And every time, it's over the nation of Israel. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus refers to God as an intimate Father 60 times. It's important that we do this It's a healing move. Don't push too hard. God totally sympathizes and saves. And what you call him is infinitely less important than that you call on him. But Jesus taught that there is an intimate relationship available to us because of his work that he had not yet done when he taught this. We need the whole gospel to understand Matthew 6. But Jesus contrasts the rewards and encourages very intimate prayer Which reward are you receiving? Which one did you receive this week? I mean, listen, listen again. I'm going to read the text again. Jesus is offering that there are two rewards available. There's no, no third option. There's no zero. It's either one or two. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, 
will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I hope this week reflects your interest in receiving in this life the rewards Jesus talks about. I went into my prayer closet three times this week, and maybe that's three more times than you. I really wish it had been seven. And you know why? Because I can see where I was receiving the reward of the Matt way instead of the Jesus way. I remember feeling anxious this week, and anxiousness is not removed by prayer. <laughs> prayer is a big part of receiving the peace of Christ. Jesus contrasts rewards and encourages intimate prayer, which has a place. This is the easiest and the most challenging thing to preach. Where are we supposed to pray? Eric? Yes! It's so, Jesus is such a clear teacher. It's amazing. He taught complex things that we need to work to unpack, like reward. He also taught very straightforwardly. When you pray, He's assuming that you pray, which is true for, I think, 97 to 99% of humans pray. Jesus knew it then without Gallup polls. When you pray, go into your room. Not a metaphor. Shut the door. Not a metaphor. And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I love what I call prayer defeaters. Things that we have come to believe for decent reasons that actually keep us from prayer. I call them prayer defeaters. There's probably a better word. That's just probably something grammatically wrong with that phrase. We can talk about that later. I actually love talking about the Bible. Some of my friends have made it clear that uh, I talk enough about the emails that I receive that they're not sure they should email me. Um, if you email me about the Bible, those are the greatest emails ever other than will you baptize my child or can we talk about faith in Jesus because I'm considering it. A number of non-Christian people say, would you ever like want to talk about the Bible? And I'm like, it's like my favorite thing. I try not to be weird about it. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'd like to. Sure, yeah. Doesn't always work. Okay, so there are these things that I think are in at least 51% of us that were designed to help us pray and actually keep us from praying. Here's one. Ready? Prayer is just talking to God. No, 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 no. Is that clear? Does God hear every thought and groan and word that you say to him? Yes. Does he always take it seriously? Yes. Do your prayers ever bother or anger God? No. Prayer is not just talking to God. It's so much more intimate than that. It's world-altering. 
We will not know until we're in heaven, perhaps even then, how much until the new heavens and the new earth, but the prayers of the people of God for thousands of years have done good and stopped harm. There's power in prayer that we subconsciously or semi-consciously or perhaps totally consciously minimize when we say or believe prayer is just talking to God. Now listen, the person that told you the prayer is just talking to God, their goal was that you not be intimidated. That's good. It is good. I don't want anyone to be intimidated about going into their room and closing the door and praying. But in my experience, when we talk about prayer that way, we're we're misrepresenting Jesus. If Jesus had wanted to say prayers just talking to God, he could have. He spoke so basically about certain things, like taxes. And then so straightforwardly and intimately and metaphorically, all at the same time, about prayer. Prayer is so much more comforting to your soul than whatever it is we're saying or implying by prayers just talking to God. I'll give you one more this week, and then I'll give you some more next week. I can just pray anywhere, or you should just pray anywhere. Those of you that know me, uh, you saw the little, you know, flashing yellow light. Anytime Matt says just, unless he's talking about justice, he's probably being negative on purpose to try and make a rhetorical point through negativity. I can just pray anywhere. No. Does God hear you when you pray anywhere? Yes. Does God take it seriously when you pray anywhere? Of course. But if you're multitasking, if you're like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Don John and you pray when you're doing pull-ups, what does that say about the relationship? If you only pray when you're driving, and listen, if you like to pray when you're driving, do it. Don't close your eyes, but go for it. But if you only pray when you're driving, you are missing out on intimacy. Two of my closest friends, uh, we have both noticed, like both of us have noticed and remarked to the other one, like mostly we're only talking when we're driving, and we're we're not getting as much out of the friendship that way. And so we have to schedule time, you know, because we're adults and busy and kids and jobs and all the things, right? We have to schedule time to talk on the phone with my close friends, because only talking to them when I'm, first of all, I live in Simsbury, so half the call I'm not going to get any service anyway. But (laughs) we're missing out. Our friendship is not going to be as life-giving to me if we only talk when we're driving, even with AirPods, which are really cool part of common grace, I think. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus contrasts rewards and encourages intimate prayer, which has a place and it has a purpose. I've read about six books just on the Lord's Prayer. I actually wrote one, if you can call like 22,000 words, a book. And I think it's really below average, frankly. But the reason that I wrote it is in my study of the Lord's Prayer, which is one of the sermon series that I preached on at Riverside Church, which is both a big reason that I'm the pastor now of the barn and the, probably the biggest reason I almost wasn't the pastor of the barn. I can explain that later. I never saw anybody wrestle to the ground the reward to my satisfaction. And I can show you the stack of books I read. If you want to read them, go for it. J.I. Packers, I think, was the best. Here's what I think the reward is. Peace. Absence of anxiety. 
presence of God's comfort. It's three, there are three of them. Okay? One is peace. Philippians describes peace. There it is. In um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul describes it this way, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. But when we're looking at Matthew chapter 6 and attempting to wrestle to the ground, what does Jesus mean when he says reward? That's the kind of peace that we both receive but don't always sense. When you go into your room, close the door, pray this way, don't tell anyone about it later, peace. Also, it's confidence in your role. You know, the world can't tell you who you are. You can't tell you who you are. God can. Because he made you. Because he's fond of you and knows you inside and out. Thoughts. And he has a role for you. As a lover of him and the neighbors in your life, but also the skills and the gifts and the circumstances of your life turn into a role. And there are a lot of ways to describe this. Um, steward. You're a steward. You're an emissary of the king. You're a son, daughter of the true king. You have a role as a follower of Jesus. And when you go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and not tell anybody about it, you receive a confidence in both who you are and what work there is for you to do in encouraging and establishing the kingdom until Jesus comes back or we go to be with him. That's number two. You got it? Confidence in your role as a follower of him. Peace. And a sense of intimacy. And these overlap, okay? But the third thing that you get is a sense, like, like you can, I'm using the word sense deliberately to attempt to transcend emotions and mind. It's, it's all throughout you. You receive a sense of the intimacy that you have that Jesus is referring to when he says, call God Father. I love Luke's version of this when he talks about looking at the birds and the flowers and recognizing the Father's heart towards us. How much more does he care about us? When we go into our room and close the door and pray to our Father who is in secret and not tell anyone about him, we receive those three things. I believe that's what the reward is. And what's the alternative reward? People are impressed with us, which actually matters, you know, we'll call it this much, in the world, right? Or maybe it just harms us. Because first of all, it's not, that's not very awesome. It's not in my notes. Second of all, we're trading the other reward. Don't you want the peace that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, 7? It's yours. Jesus purchased it for you. How do I enjoy it? Go into your room and close the door and pray and then don't tell anybody about it. Beautiful, non-metaphorical teaching. Then we receive these metaphorical things. Peace, sense of and confidence in who you are called to be, your work in the kingdom, and a sense of the intimacy with the Father. That's what the reward is. And we live like we don't want that. Am I right? 
And if you're not living that way, if you go into your room twice a day, close the door and pray to your father in secret, don't tell me or anybody else because that would be so ironical. But for the rest of us, we are missing out. And we could stop missing out right now. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I am so thankful for your stories, for your miracles, for your complex teaching, and for your simple teaching. Would you help me, and would you help us to follow you, literally, into our rooms where we close the door and pray to our Father? Help us to follow Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.